We park with the fans, we walk in with the fans, we sit with the fans, we eat with the fans. And all we pay attention to is what are the friction points in the experience? This is what Walt Disney did when he had his apartment on the fire station at Disneyland. He would go around and go on rides. And he said, whenever I go on a ride, I always ask what's wrong with this thing and how can we improve? You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Coco Chanel. In order to be irreplaceable, one must always be different. My guest today, Jesse Cole, lives life by being different. He is the founder of Fans First Entertainment, which owns and operates the baseball team, the Savannah Bananas. The Bananas have welcomed more than 1 million fans to their tiny ballpark (laughs) and have been featured on MSNBC, CBS Sunday Morning, HBO, and ESPN in the last few months. Jesse is an in-demand speaker and best-selling author of two books, Find Your Yellow Tux and his newest Fans First. Jesse, thanks for joining us today on the Elevate Podcast. Uh, Excited to be with you, my friend. So first, congrats on all your recent success, both in the media and on the field. I believe uh, the team just had a little bit of exciting news as well. Is that right? Yeah. Well, you know, when you have fun, you happen to play better. So we won another championship our third in six years. And yeah, it's been a wild ride, to say the least. All right. So I always like to start off uh, early kind of learning people's background. But with you, I'm sure uh, listeners need to they need some facts kind of up front. So let to understand all this. So can you explain who are the Savannah Bananas? What league do they play in? And are they playing real competition? Or are they like the Harlem Globetrotters of baseball? I It took a conversation with you in person for me to understand all of this. So can you give us the lay of the land here? Sure. We, we started as a college summer team, which is one of like the lowest levels of baseball. You know, yeah. there's major league, triple A, double A, single A, then like professional and ball. And then there's like college summer baseball. That's where we started. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the story, we only sold a handful of tickets in our first few months. And my wife and I had to sell our house, empty out our savings account. But then we said, well, hey, we're going to be dramatically different. We're going to be all about entertainment and fun in the show. So yes, we had break dancing base coaches, a senior citizen dance team, the Banana Nanas, a male cheerleading team, our players do dance. So we made it baseball and entertainment. And fortunately, the fans came out. So that started selling out every single night with a wait list now over 75,000. But we realized that fans were still bored with games. So we developed even a faster game called Banana Ball, which is literally a two-hour time game where batters can't step out of the batter's box. There's no walks. There's no bunting. And if fans catch a foul ball, it's an out. And so we developed that game with our professional team, and that's the future of what we're doing. So we're going all into a professional team that travels around the country and plays similar to the Globetrotters, except you never know who's going to win. So long story short, that's the future of the Bananas, this fun, crazy game with all entertainment and top-level baseball. Okay, so when you're playing Banana Ball, who is the team that you play against? Who is the New Jersey Generals? The Party Animals, of course. The Party Animals, okay. All right. So now we have the baseline. So now let's rewind the tape and figure out how we got here and to the yellow tux and, and all this stuff. So and, and having recently been to a game and been able to experience this for myself, I described it to people. It's like going to a party and a baseball game broke out. That's the that's the best way I can describe it if you haven't been there. And I would encourage you to see it. So what were you like growing up as a kid? Were, I am guessing you didn't color in the lines. Uh, I'll guess that. Was, uh, but but it was baseball always a passion for you? Did you have a childhood passion to grow up in baseball? Like, what, 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 tell us about little Jesse. 
Yeah, well, I grew up uh, south of Boston, a little town situated in Massachusetts, and the Red I Sox. I like how you drop back into that. Yeah, yeah, and, and and so the, uh, yeah, so the Red Sox were my team, uh, okay. and went to all the games. And uh, my dad and I—that was our bond. My parents were divorced. I was the only child. Baseball was everything. Got to be bat boy for the Red Sox when I was five years old, and sat in the dugout with you know Lee Smith and Wade Boggs and Jody yeah. Reed. That was my and, era. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Mike and, Greenwell. Is that, yep, yeah. All Ellis those guys. Yeah, yeah. 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 Keep going with that. Uh, Billy Hatcher stealing home. Tim Naring. Yeah. These yes. are all the cards I had as kids. Okay. Phil Plantier for one year. Yeah. That was my everything. So the Red Sox. So I had the dream of getting drafted by the Red Sox. And fortunately, I was able to stand out in baseball. You know, I uh, got offered scholarship from Boston College, Northeastern, but went down south to a little school, uh, Division One school, Wofford. Got a full ride there. And um, started hearing from professional scouts, and so like as a kid, it was it was baseball, baseball, baseball. I mean, it's what me and my dad had. Um, never imagined I'd get into the front office. Always hoped I would play. Got it. So was the switch to front office when you did you get hurt, or were you just not not good enough? <laughs> <laughs> probably a combination of the two. But it was it's usually it was, one or two of those stories yeah. when people yeah. It was probably a combination of the two. You know, I I, uh, I was hearing from professional teams. So I had about five letters from major league teams and I was yeah. talking to scouts and then I tore my shoulder and everything. That was just like that. I was done and had no idea what I was going to do. But you you were going to stay in baseball. That's what everyone's like. Jesse, you're going to get into coaching. Your dad was a coach. You've been around the game your whole life. But uh, I coached for one summer in the Cape Cod League and I was bored out of my mind, Bob. I mean, I was just like, it was, I sat in the dugout and I was like, there's a difference between playing and watching a game. And at that yeah. point, I said, I'm not going to coach. All right. So then you seem to have this pension for uh, taking on struggling teams. So I, I think your first job in baseball was a, with a team. It's called the, is it Gastonia Grizzlies? Is that right? Yeah, you nailed it. You nailed it. The team no longer exists. But when I took it over, it was uh, it was the worst team, one of the worst teams in all of college summer baseball. You're like the bad news Bears GM. So so 23 years old. How do you find yourself as GM of the Gastonia Grizzlies? Well, I got an internship for two months and I was handed a phone book and the team that I was interned for was in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and they also owned the team in Gastonia. Okay. And in two months, I got that phone book. I said, I'm going to sell more than anybody on the staff. And luckily, I sold an outrageous amount of sponsorship, more than their entire GM, their director of sales and everyone else. So they said, we're going to give this crazy 23-year-old a shot with Gastonia because they had nothing to lose. The team was averaging 200 fans a game. The team had lost. <laughs> was it a minor league affiliate or, or no, was it? It was, no, a, it was a college summer league team. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And, and they lost over $100,000 the previous year. And I remember the first day as GM, I took over, there was $268 in the bank account. So there was a dollar per fan about, it sounds about, like. About, yeah. yeah it, was, it was perfect, yes. And we had three full-time employees and payroll was on Friday. So I had to figure it out pretty quickly if we were going to survive. So what did you do? What was your playbook? Uh, didn't have a playbook, but I said, I got to start learning. So I, I actually started reading about Walt Disney, uh, P.T. Barnum, Bill Veck, uh, reading books about marketing. I got a bit so of entertainment, bigger, not, not, about not about baseball. Yeah. 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 And, and then I just I, I made it a goal. I was like, all right, I'm going to try to convince one person a day to become a fan and buy tickets. And so I made it my internal goal that he had as many meetings as possible to try to sell tickets. And I couldn't pay myself the first two or three months. I mean, it was bad. So what was the thread that you, because this is probably the most important thing. What did you learn from studying those masters? What was the sort of aha common thread from those kind of media empires? You got to be dramatically different. 
you can't be like everyone else. I mean, especially P.T. Barnum in the 1800s. I mean, what he did with his museum before he even had the, the circus. I mean, he brought in so many curiosities, as he called them, and he tried to create something people have never seen before. Same thing with Walt Disney. I mean, everything. I mean, his whole entire career, he he innovated uh, with from first the animations to then involving music to a full color uh, animated film, then obviously Disneyland. So I was like, all right, we got to be dramatically different. We can't be like every other baseball team. And I think the biggest thing I learned is that we're never going to be the best at playing the same game as everyone else. So what if we played a different game? And so I realized we're not going to be the best baseball team. There's major league. There's high level. Like we're the yeah. lowest level. Don't compete in baseball. So uh, what, was, what, what is the goal of a team like that? Is it to break even? Is it to fill the part? Like what is, I mean, what is the goal? Well, the, 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 it is about developing. So, I mean, there's, there's, Thousands of players have been drafted out of this yeah. league. I mean, even the bananas in five years have had 60 or 70 players go on to professional baseball. So the yeah. goal is for developmental. From the owner's standpoint, they want to make a few bucks, not lose money. But yeah, I mean, it's not, it's winning and losing isn't the end all be all. All right. So you start trying to turn people into fans and, and what happened with the Grizzlies? Yeah, we started doing, you know, grandma beauty pageants, dig to China nights, pregnant nights, flatulence what fun is nights. Dig, what is dig to China nights? Oh, that was fun. Um, so I buried a certificate uh, for a trip to China in the infield dirt. And after the game, I had hundreds of fans go on the field, but they tore up the field crazily. And finally, one woman, she found the the trip, the certificate, but it was just a one-way flight to China, no flight back and no accommodations. So she wasn't too happy about it. But but then you had to also fix your field, right? Yeah, that was a bad promotion. That <laughs> platforms one night salute to underwinners. We failed. What are some other ones you have not repeated because because they didn't go so well? Uh, Paying okay. people to dig up your field is probably one of them. That was bad. Uh, salute to underwear night where we actually, if people wore underwear over their pants, they got a free giveaway, and it was the most unfamily friendly night we've ever done. It was disgusting. Uh, that didn't work. Uh, toilet paper madness where we actually decked out the whole stadium with toilet paper. That was just a waste, and it didn't work. It was 105 degrees. I mean, we did so many promotions that didn't work, but that's how we learned faster. You're, you're not afraid to fail. All right, so you start filling the stands? Like, what what happened? Yeah, we went from 200 uh, uh, before to 1,000 that first season, then to 1,500, wow. then to 2,000. And uh, by our third, fourth season, we started selling out games. So we were fourth in the country in attendance by our fourth and fifth year. Uh, so I also think, right, the Grizzlies played a, a crucial role uh, of your story with uh, Emily, your wife. Um, can you tell us a little about that uh, proposal story? Yeah, after our first year, we held a conference. And again, I held a conference because I wanted to learn from others. So I was like, we'll just hold a conference and invite people to come. And and so I was speaking and minor league teams came to actually listen to us, which was crazy. And I was talking about our grandma beauty pageants and all the things we did this past year. And Emily's boss was there. And heard uh, me speak and left the conference and called Emily and said, I met the guy you're going to marry. And Emily's like, what are you talking about? You know, Emily's 23 years old at the point, 22 years old. And uh, she's like, no, he's enthusiasm. He loves it. And so we just started communicating business professionally. And then uh, what was she doing? She was in a minor league team. So she was a she was selling tickets for a team in Augusta, Georgia. And so then she joined us, became our director of fun. Uh, in Gastonia would wear a hot dog costume every day. And, you know, that's that's a girl with confidence right there, you know, that will wear a hot dog costume, doesn't care what she looks. She's in her early 20s. And that impressed me in more ways than one. And we started having the time of our life. And yeah, I proposed to her at our last game of our 2014 season and sold out crowd in the middle of the game. And thankfully, she said yes. Yeah, I'm sure that that was not a low key proposal. Um, no. <laughs> oh, you know, low key. It's all the, the word my kids say every other word these days. It has new meaning. Um, all right. So after the wedding, you get married, you go to Savannah. What drove you to Savannah? 
Well, she's surprised. So I, that low key proposal in the middle of the game with fireworks that, de- yeah. de- you know, literally, <laughs> literally uh, delayed the game by 30 minutes. And the umpires are asking, when are we going to play? I go, this is our moment. So that low key proposal uh, that night after I fell asleep, she planned a trip to Savannah. She's like, you did this whole proposal, the ring, everything. And so we went to Savannah that next week and we saw there was a minor league ballpark and they had a professional team playing here. We went and it was a Saturday night, 80 degrees. We walked into this majestic stadium with history. Babe Ruth played here, Hank Aaron, Lou Gehrig. FDR gave a presidential address here in 1933. We were blown away. So we walk in Saturday night, 80 degrees, and there was less than 200 people in the stadium. It was like a tumbleweed going through. And we were like, what is going on? And we watched. It was the most boring environment I've ever seen. And so I texted the commissioner of our league. I said, if this team ever leaves, we're calling this market. And lo and behold, in a couple of months, they said, we can't succeed in Savannah. We're professional baseball. It's not going to work. Baseball won't work in Savannah. And so then they left and we convinced the city to give us a shot. So did you have to buy the team or did you just have to get a deal with the stadium? Or what? what is it like? How does that actually work? Yeah, so we went from zero debt to seven figures in debt. We thought that would be a smart uh, move as we just got. So you actually bought the team. We had to buy an expansion team. So we had to buy an expansion team for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you buy that from the league. Is that right? Correct. Okay. And then we had to put money in the team to start. And we had to sign a lease with the city and then, you know, get started as a startup with no no one funding us. All right. So you sell your house, you mortgage yourself to the hill. You guys are on the same page on this. So what happened next? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we we only sold a a handful of tickets in the first three months. So by January of 2016, that's when we overdrafted our account. We're about to miss payroll and we sold our house and we were living on airbed and only grocery shopping with $30 a week, which is not real food, Bob. Like, it's just like you can't even eat it. It's like it was bad. We knew we had to do something big and different. We had to name the team something that would stand out and then just do a business. What was the name of the? Did you start with a different name or no? No, no, no. That former team was professional. So they got it, got it, got it. They left. They have the rights on that. We had no interest in being that team name, anyways. So we told the community, hey, we want something. We want a name that's dramatically different, unique, and fun and crazy. And they proceeded to send in a thousand normal, generic names, except for one, a 62 year old retired nurse said, the bananas. Only one suggestion. And so we looked at it and said, oh, go bananas. Savannah bananas. Yeah. Yeah. Savannah bananas. You know, our mascot could be split. We could have a senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas, a male cheerleading team called the Mananas. These are the first thinking. things that popped into your mind. We just started thinking the branding. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different. And we knew we're like, <laughs> we're going to get criticized. So we actually spent two days uh, working with our team on how to deal with criticism because we knew we were going to get ripped apart. And on February 25th, 2016, we announced it. And we got ripped apart. I mean, you but, guys. But bad know. press is good press when you have no money in some ways, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Attention means <laughs> marketing 1000% of the time yeah. is what we say around here. And so we got attention. It was painful. Uh, you know, sleeping. What on were air- the objections? Like, oh, wh- oh, I mean, this is an embarrassment to our city. How dare you name a team like this? Uh, the owner will never sell a ticket. Uh, you need to leave I'm our thinking team of that quote. If at first an idea, you know, if an idea is not crazy, it doesn't have whatever that quote is, it doesn't have a. A chance to succeed. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, Bezos says it too. You have to be willing to be misunderstood. And we were misunderstood. This wasn't a normal way of naming the team, but we had a much bigger vision. And so once we announced the team, name was the Bananas, then we announced the mascot split. Then we announced the Banana Nanas. Then we announced we were making every single ticket all inclusive in our ballpark. So that like, which no team had ever done. So we put ourselves in our fans' shoes and said, how can we convince enough people to experience it, to see it? So what does all inclusive mean? Every ticket, you can't get into the Bananas Ballpark in Savannah without all your burgers, hot dogs, grilled chicken sandwiches, soda, water, popcorn, chips, and dessert covered all night for free. 
do you exclude 16 to 18 year old boys? Because my son would bankrupt you if he yeah, showed up I, to your I love party. that. I love when <laughs> people say that, like on social media, like, oh, it's all inclusive. Good luck. They're gonna lose on me. And I'm like, good luck to your bathroom. Like, like, yeah. like try to really do it well. But yeah. if you're doing it just to spite the ballpark, you might you might lose in the end. Well, yeah. well, well, I think this is a thing on, on products, you know. Uh create a product and experience that your yeah. customers feel like they can take advantage of you. Interesting. And so this is for 10 bucks a ticket or it's more? It was 15. I mean, okay, 15 was the minimum. But think yeah. about that, like $15 and yeah. it's all your food all night and no tickets. You know, people come just to eat. Oh yeah. Well, we, they didn't believe in us at first. If yeah. we can get them to come have dinner, that's a win. They'll see the show. So, and then here's an honest question. Did you sit there with a spreadsheet and did you do the math on that? Or are you like, this is just the right thing to do and it'll work itself out? Oh no. Spreadsheets are something that, that uh, we have bye bye to me many years ago. <laughs> Um, I mean, fortunately, our president looks at, you know, it's like Walt Disney said, money doesn't excite me, ideas excite me on the same thing. I do remember a quote from the, there's a, I guess it was preceded memes, but there was a sort of funny quote about GM, the what we lose on every car we make up in volume, right? So you, you have to be careful. <laughs> you have to be careful of that, that phenomenon. Hilarious. Yeah, no, I mean, we just said, again, every decision we make is fans first. I mean, it's the name of our yeah. company, Fans First Entertainment. So we said, what would be a good price point that a fan would say, wow, that value is outrageous. And let's hope it works out. Now, were we strategic? I mean, we got a great deal on all beef hot dogs, you know, Oscar Mayer hot dogs. We got a great de- deal on, on burgers. We said, we're going to do all inclusive. So we worked hard to get it down. But yeah, I mean, people are like, that's going to cost more than anything. And you know, so you company- announce all this, you yeah. open the park. Yep. Do people come? Yeah, the first night we played in green uniforms because we weren't quite ripe, which uh, fans appreciated that. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, we had yellow bases, yellow bats, I mean, all yellow uniforms for the next game. And we, we had a we had a, a strategic plan. Yeah, they came out that first night and it rained. And so they, they rushed the stadium and went through 10,000 pieces of meat in the first hour and a half. And so we were out of meat, out of food. The lines then went for three hours. It was a bad experience. Yeah, you were green. Yeah. But they watched the players do a choreographed dance. They watched the banana bananas. They watched us lift the banana baby up into the air and sing, nah, Savinia. They watched the show. And after that moment, even bad as the food experience was, we figured it out eventually. They told everyone. And we spent zero dollars in marketing from that point on. And now we've sold out every single game, almost 200 straight games. So I have a question about culture. And and so we were debating this with some people when we were at the stand. So if you go to the game, these are college players. They're running around and dancing like crazy. They're wearing kilts and not shorts or pants. Like, was that hard to get them to buy into this? Like, do they feel like they wouldn't be taken initially? Like, they wouldn't be taken seriously? Like, that they were maybe devaluing themselves? Or, like, you know, this is a classic, like, how do you get people to buy into your culture? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it was <laughs> it was brutal. Okay, right. Time to make the majors. I need you to put on a, a kilt and go yeah, guys, run and right, dance yeah, through the Before stand. we practice our, our do some BP and, and, yeah. and work on our hitting, we're going to dance for the next hour. I mean, right. and this is like what happened. And, I can imagine the looks that you got. Oh, my goodness. Well, we had guys that just said this wasn't for me. And in the beginning, I mean, we spent hours coaching and teaching the guys to take criticism about calling a banana, about it being about the show. And it was really tough getting a buy-in. But then our coaches bought in, and then they started seeing what's happening on social media. And then we started growing. And now, I mean, we have 1,500 players reach out to us a year. So, you know, now we don't recruit, we attract. In the beginning, we had to over and over and over again. But before any guy gets a uniform... But when you were recruiting, didn't they know they were going to have to sing and dance? They and had kills? an idea. They had an idea. But once you get yeah. into it and see it. But, you know, now still, not one guy gets a uniform until they go through at least an hour bananas orientation with me as the owner. 
And I go about traditions, stories, just like Disney does before yeah. they even get a uniform. So we are so intentional on what they're doing. It's not by the just- way, you you work hard each game, like that. You MC this thing from beginning to end. Like this is not a normal GM. I, I mean, you're working as much as the manager, like out there. Well, I think uh, you know, as you know this, and you're a great leader as well. And the people you've interviewed are great leaders. I think you got to show it. You got to show it if you want it, and to to get it from your team. So yeah, as an owner, I'm literally I go 40, 45,000 steps a night. Uh, when we have games and I'm in a crowd because also I want to give our team permission to have fun and be involved with the crowd and be involved with the fans. And so you watch our players, our players are in the crowd. Our cast is in the crowd. We break down the barriers right away. And it's because I'm in the crowd throwing things. I'm not just sitting in an owner's suite watching. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free terms and conditions apply so you use the same cast terminology as disney you're on stage off stage is that sort of the same yeah 100 yeah. yeah language is i mean we don't have any managers we don't believe people want to be managed they want to be led we don't yeah. do training dogs are trained you know humans are coached you know we're very intentional on on language with everything we do interesting so so i gotta ask you now about the yellow so i've never seen you not wearing a yellow suit yellow tux hat like which came first, yellow or the bananas? Or did you just when you were in the bananas, you decided you are going to be the banana guy when you were seen around town? No, not be, I mean, yes, <laughs> and I have I have seven yellow tuxedos, and yeah, yeah I proposed to it's Emily. Not just yellow tuxedos, you only wear yellow that is outside yeah, of the I, game, uh, right? Yeah, I like when we go when I with when with, uh, we have three kids and when we go to the pool. Uh, Maverick, my oldest son, he makes sure, Dad, I got the yellow towel for you. Like they just know, like get Daddy yellow. Um, yeah. It was before the, the bananas. I started wearing a yellow tuxedo with the Gastonia team um, because the first night I wore a black tuxedo and I almost melted. It was 100 degrees and yeah. just didn't work. So, yeah, I, I mean, 
<laughs> it's my calling card. It's my uniform. It's it's what I believe is the tux, and then yellow just stays on brand. So I'm I'm pretty adamant about it. So stadium starts filling up. Things going great. You're getting TV. Like businesses, I think going pretty well. And then uh, we hit the small thing in 2020 called a, a global pandemic. So oh, yes, wa- walk me through because I'm sure that and you were probably hitting a high as often happens, and like you're probably paying back your debt, finally digging out, and then boom, we run right into this shutdown. Yeah, isn't it? You probably know as much, but there's there's statistics that some of the most successful companies of our time started during recessions, depressions. You know, they actually, for us, it was a resurrection. As crazy as it sounds, like literally, we built our vision during COVID, and we said, "What are all the things that we can do differently now? What are the things that we can think uh, what if and exponentially?" So, as a leadership team, we started questioning things like. You know, do we have to be in a certain league? Do we have to play just a season? Could we play year round? So we had to figure that out. Were we able to play with a few fans? Yes, we were able to play in front of a few fans. Georgia was a but, little. But different. you went to know. I mean, you know, you're you're about to hit your season. You have expenses. You got rent, and you went yep. zero revenue, right? Yeah. So yeah, multi millionaire, multi million dollar loss. Yeah, we didn't let anyone go. We didn't change anyone's salaries. We went harder. So we said, we told our team, said, guys, now everyone, even at home, we're all entertainers. So. Our mission, fans first, entertain always. We exist to make baseball fun, but how we do that is we're fans first, we entertain always. So we all came up with content. We start, we went, we went nuts. That's when we started our TikTok, which now has over 3 million followers. That's when we went heavy on all of our media and entertainment. And our fans started buying merchandise, keeping us going. We did a, a drive-through with our slippery banana, which is this, which is crazy to think you could do a drive-through of an alcoholic drink, especially one like our slippery banana, which is all liquor. There's no anything else in it. But you sold it drive-through? Yeah, we did drive-through. <laughs> it sold out all three weekends. We did it. Uh, there was different. Oh, walk. this and this is what month is this during COVID? This is uh, April or May. April wow. May of 2020. So that generated a little cash flow for us and our merchandise. And and then once we were able to play, you know, we could play in front of a thousand fans. And so we went all out and trying to do the best show for a thousand fans. And our accountant at the end of the year said, you might be the only sports team in the world that was profitable in 2020. I think it was $13,000 is what our profit was, but we found a way and we were creative and that kept us going. Yeah. Look, I, I've seen this consistently. I, and I think restaurants were a really good example, right? You had, you know, obviously hits everyone like a freight train COVID. I saw a lot of restaurants is that look, if we can't do what we're doing, we're going to wait. And others were like, look, we got people to feed, you know, literally in terms of their employees. We're going to do takeout. We're going to learn how to, you know, we're going to sign up for all these services. We're going to sell stuff wholesale. Like we're going to do what we need to do. And and um, I think it's bred some innovation that we're seeing today. So what what were the things, I yeah. mean, you almost lost the team, right? Initially, you were worried about that or no? I, I wasn't worried about losing okay. the team. I was just worried about making sure our team was taking care of our people. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to, ch- I mean, we have all young people on our team and I want to make sure they can be taken care of. But yeah, there were. Two big innovations that came for us that are paying off more than we'd ever imagined. Number one was banana ball, and that was our game that we invented. So we said, so that was a COVID invention. 2018, we did it for the first time at a college. But then when you get into your regular way of doing business, you know, your regular team, 2018, 2019, and then 2020, we said, let's test this three times in front of our smaller crowd. Yeah. And we tested that game. And for those who may be outside the U.S. or whatever, I mean, there's a good sort of background here. I mean, I grew up going to Red Sox game, baseball. You go to a six o'clock game, you know, be home at night. Baseball has gotten so slow, you know, and the world has gotten less attentive. (laughs) And those are not good trends. And so, you know, some of these games are four and a half hours and they switch pitchers 18 times and it's 1130 and $900 on a Tuesday night. Not a great, 
you know, thing to encourage people to bring their little kids to and fans. So, you know, this banana ball, not only is entertainment, but you were like trying to solve a problem. hundred percent. So like the, the game you guys came to, you know, the whole, whole, yeah. whole team from MMT, you guys would have been already home and the game would have been over. Yeah. The thunder and lightning made it a little harder. It was crazy. But anyways, so we started realizing in 2018, 2019, we were taking videotape. We were videoing and taking pictures of our grandstand every 30 minutes. And we realized at nine o'clock, you'd have a big influx of fans leave. Then at 930, it was another. And so what we were seeing is about 50 to 60% of our fans were leaving before the game was over. And were those people with kids or that all ages? It was just all encompassing. I mean, because what happens, Bob, with every game sold out, our fans get to the ballpark around four o'clock, four thirty, and they get in line. And so you guys came in afterwards. But if you were to see it at five o'clock, there's two thousand people in line, even in rain, waiting. So they've been there since four by nine o'clock. I don't care if you have kids or not. Five hours is a lot to do anything. (laughs) Yeah, you start. You actually start earlier. A lot of these games start at seven fifteen, seven thirty these days. Yeah, the professional games. Yeah, yeah, we yeah we start at seven. So we start testing this game, and literally the two hour time limit, and batters can't step out of the batter's box, and you can win every inning. We realized fans weren't getting out of their seats, and ninety eight percent of our fans would stay till the end of the game. And so we tested this during twenty twenty. At that point, we said this is the future. So give me all the rules. Like uh, I've read them all, but but I want to hear them. So right, so first one uh, is uh, so it's a two hour time limit. Game yeah. ends at two hours. So whoever's winning at that point, it's like a game clock. Correct. Okay. Number two, you got um, every inning counts. This is a fun one. So if you win the inning, you get a point. So if a team scores ten runs in an inning, the most they can actually get is one point. So it keeps every game close and also gives you the opportunity for a walk off. So the home team can have a walk-off in the first inning, and they'll celebrate like they just won the World Series. Right. Plus, if you are behind in in overall innings, it behooves you not to run up the score in the inning and just move on to the next inning, right? Because yeah. you have a better chance. Like, it doesn't <laughs> – you might as well not, not waste it all. Yeah, 100%. Uh, batters can't step out of the batter's box. If you step out of the batter's box, it's a strike. So you're constantly in the batter's box. Uh, no bunting. Bunting sucks. So if you bunt, you're thrown out of the game. So you're literally ejected. Uh, so we don't allow any bunting. No mound visits. Do people argue the accidental bunt? I mean, you have it, or is that? No, you know, is that... no. But we had a guy bunt in the game. He didn't. He forgot the rule, and he was literally ejected. Okay. And nuts. Um, there's no walks. Walks are boring. Think about this: an athletic sport. This is called a walk. So it's called a sprint. So on a walk, on the fourth ball, the catcher has to throw the ball to every player in the field before it's live, while the hitter is advancing to as many bases as possible. Got it. So it's a walk. So he would have gotten first, yep. but he'd get further than than first if. So they need a formation to figure out how to do this, right? Like, 100%. first one was a home run. Then there were triples. Then there were guaranteed doubles. Yeah. And then Eric Burns, who played in the major leagues for eleven years, he's our manager, our head coach, and he started teaching the guys how to do it. And now, every other one, we throw a guy out at second. So what is the winning strategy? Do they come together? Or? Uh, it's a weave. Everyone okay. comes in, so the, the catcher. But then they have to up. know they know the order, right? But yeah, shortstop yeah. flips to second, second flips to third, third flips to first, first to left, to left to right, to center, center comes in with attack. It's <laughs> wild. So uh, that that's one. If fans catch a foul ball, it's an out. Uh, that happens six times on our world tour. It's amazing, except when it's against the bananas, and then the whole stadium boos you, which has happened three times. Yeah. That's like the Chicago guy who, no, who Steve Bartman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. you should get him down in one of your games. Yeah, yeah. I, I give him another chance to set actually, him free. Yeah, yeah him he and free. Buckner. Yeah, hundred percent. And then the last rule, the last rule is the one-on-one showdown. So if the game is tied at the two-hour time limit, it goes to pitcher versus hitter with one fielder, and the hitter has to score. So it's like a penalty kick. 
you know, I have postulated that that hockey should do this because they, you know, in the playoffs they have these twelve overtimes where it's just start taking people off the ice until it's one on one. Play more. It's right. like you know, everyone's like, "Hey, we've already gone three hours. Let's just keep playing." And then, and then like the next game, they're all exhausted. It's just like, yeah, let's you know. Exactly. I'm on the same page. Major League Baseball games are now three hours and twelve minutes long. Average. They've got, they've gone longer for seven straight years. You used to have games in the seventies. So they're still going longer with even with, with all the things. Sweet. I thought it was how long is the average? So last year after 2021 is three hours and 12 minutes was the average major league baseball game. And what was it like two decades ago? Oh, you were under two and a half in the seventies. Okay. So yeah, ours dramatically. I mean, you know, at eight 30, we have a clock going. You're like, I mean, I literally say play ball, start the clock. Yeah. And people are watching. So at eight 30, like might as well stay till the end. So if it's two innings to two innings, then you have this, this thing. Like if you're tied in innings when it's over. So what if the clock runs out in the middle of the innings, you don't even get the rest of your at bats. No, no, you finish the inning. So like okay. an inning can't start after eight fifty. Got it. Okay. So it, it's fun. And we, we've run 98% state to the end game. And so that was really, that was uh pushed fast during COVID as well as broadcasting games with drones and mic'd up players. And so now we have an ESPN deal with our live broadcast. So all those are things you, that happen- your games are on ESPN for banana ball. Literally on this Friday, ESPN two nationally, and then our premiere of our TV series, Banana Land. Sports Center is here this Friday. Sports Center, then the game on ESPN two, then Banana right. Land, and then we have the next five games all on ESPN plus. So when you invent a game and you have a team, your challenge is now you need people to play you in Banana Ball. So what's your so is your vision that Banana Ball turns into a league, or do you think is Major League Baseball paying attention? Are they looking at the things you're doing? Are they asking you for some advice? You know, I, I pitched myself <laughs> you know, on an airbed six years ago, but we've got calls from five Major League teams that want us to bring Banana Ball to them within the next year. And so we're hearing from everybody. We have, you know, four or five major leaguers who are playing with us now. I mean, that are joining our team. So they want to like the Red Sox, not let's not say the Red Sox, but like, like this would be like the Red Sox saying, we want a separate Banana Ball game. Yes, they they want the bananas to come to Fenway play banana ball or any of these other ballparks that we've been reached out to. So against the professional players? No, against the oh, party. Okay. And it'd be, it'd be us bringing the full show. Like when we travel on the road. Got it. All right. They 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 want the show on the road. Yeah. Correct. And then so everything's a test. Everything we do is a small test. So we did the one city world tour to see if it would work on the road. We sold seven thousand tickets in twenty four hours. One one city world tour. Yes, sorry, yeah. Yeah. Yes. that's just funny. I gets your attention. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. That's you're getting the PT Barnum in us. Yeah, you know, we look at attention. Then we went to seven cities. Those all sold out. We sold out a major league spring training home. Uh, the the day game, the Astros drew a thousand people. We drew eight thousand at night. So like, okay, we can extend this. We'll go to twenty five cities next year. But it's all a part of our testing framework. So. One test we did was we played a professional team, the Kansas City Monarchs, against another team at their place. We were the home team, and they had major leaguers on on the roster in the lineup. They beat us pretty good the first game. We won the second game, but we had thirty five thousand unique viewers watching the game on our YouTube, which is our smallest platform. And so then ESPN, everyone else sees that. Wow, that's a pretty good viewership when you only had. I think we only had fifty thousand subscribers at that point. And so now we'll do more challengers. We'll play more other teams in addition to the party animals and keep kind of. We're on it. Eventually a league, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, one of the things it seems that you've been really successful with, and and I've even seen this struggle to get harder as our company has gotten bigger, but it's hard to get people to test stuff, right? You are just willing to do it, fail, have people dig up your field for one-way tickets to China and be like, that was, you know, probably get sued over under inappropriate underwear. But like, I, you know, sometimes if you overthink these things and we think we're smarter than we are in terms of knowing which ones will work and which won't work. And sometimes you just need to test it out and, and either move on or be surprised. 
1000%. So I would challenge anyone on any staff, any organization, any business to look at their calendars and look at how many t- how much time in their calendar is built on idea sessions. Yeah. So for instance, every day we have idea sessions. We call them on Monday it's our OTT meeting, our over the top, what crazy ideas. I mean, we had guys come up to bat with bats on fire, you know, we literally say, had what guys- percentage of these are illegal or wouldn't be insured, uh, insurable, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, we're I mean, we're going to have <laughs> we're going to have guys skydive into their positions. I mean, there's we have we're looking at having a bull from the bullpen, so a guy riding a bull from the bullpen. I mean, we're doing a lot How about of a cannon shooting a guy onto the field. Probably that'll happen at some point. Yeah. I mean, we have guys on stilts that pitch and hit and all those things come up and that's why we went from, you know, 1 million followers to 4 million followers. It's because every day 4 we're million followers. Ideas. And are these all around the world? Yeah, we're very fortunate. I mean, again, from where we struggled. So every day now, we're doing- Are you selling merchandise all over the world? Like people ordering their stuff from- from... We went from one person (laughs) into merchandise. I think we have now 12 in that department. It's a multi-million dollar department. And I mean, we have fulfillment that the post office, they bring trucks, the the biggest truck every day. And we ship- Did you know that? You probably know this. Where's the craziest place you've mailed a piece of merchandise to? Oh, geez, I'd have to ask our team. (laughs) I'd have to ask our team, but I, I know it's, you know, 10 to 15 countries every day. It's hundreds of orders. And so- you know, with 4 million social media followers. So that's become 50% of our business is merchandise. And I believe any business, if you create a brand that people love, I don't you have to be a baseball team. I mean, look at Bucky's. Have you heard about Bucky's, the gas station down in Texas? They're doing crazy in merch and Yeti. And so like, that's part of creating fans is you want people to wear your brand. They're doing the marketing for us because they believe in what we're doing. And we're putting our time into content and creating things unique on the show. That's where the ideas come in. Got it. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Harvard Business Review provides information, tools, and practical advice on leadership, management, and strategy through the hbr.org website, their print publication, and their podcast. hbr.org is your go-to for leadership and business management articles. A recent favorite is stop eliminating perfectly good candidates by asking them the wrong questions. Then there are other world-famous case studies, which premium subscribers can access as well. HBR produces a number of leading podcasts from HBR on leadership to my favorite, the HBR IdeaCast podcast. A subscription to HBR also includes access to videos, the big idea, HBR magazine, and a wide variety of newsletters. While much of the Harvard Business Review content is available for free after signing up at their site, Subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org 
slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. So, I mean, a lot of what we talked about today uh, is kind of makes up the story of your latest book, Fans First, which I'd encourage everyone to check out. We'll provide a link to uh, at the end. So what prompted you to write this book? I, you know, some people say show don't tell. I almost feel like you're, 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 this is like, you're like a live book going every day with this. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, it, so, I mean, you know, this as a, as a speaker as well, I was fortunate when pe- we started having success and started getting some of the national stories and today's show and MSNBC and people said, Hey, can you speak? And I was like, yeah, sure. What do you want me to talk about? And they're like, just talk about how you built it kind of like today. Yeah. And they started like, you really created fans. You have such, I mean, 75,000 people on your wait list. You've sold out every game. You have the following. I said, yeah. And so then I reverse engineered and say, how do we do this? And I realized in my talks, there were five E's to creating raving fans, eliminate friction, entertain always, experiment constantly, engage deeply and empower action. And I, we had stories that all backed it up and I started sharing it. And fortunately it was resonating more than I ever imagined. And it was a book and how the book is, is done very well. So that's what we share. And, and every day we look into that. How are we eliminating friction, putting ourselves in our customer's shoes? I mean, we do things that make no sense. We eliminated sponsorship from our stadium. Okay. Why did you do that? Other than you're selling truckloads of merchandise. Don't <laughs> we need were, to. We weren't yeah. then. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, weren't yeah. then. We announced that on February 25th, 2020, two weeks uh, before the pandemic. So we threw away hundreds of The good of news thousands. is you wouldn't have had any sponsors then. So that's Yeah, the, we didn't have to like, try to yeah, yeah, wear it. peel but, them off. Again, every decision we make is fans first and go to eliminating friction. I don't know one fan in the world that comes to a ballpark and says, I want to be advertised to, sold to, and marketed to. And the question I think every business should look at it is, where is their money coming from? In sports teams, only a small percentage comes from their fans. It's the TV rights. It's rev shares. Right. So they're, they're, I always say this, like figure out who your customer is, and that's the customer. You go to a Celtics game, and it's the, hey, it's the Bank America grab a dollar bill thing. I mean, it's like a three ring circus of and of they work they work for things. that sponsor because yeah. the sponsor is writing that big seven figure check so this is the problem that conferences have conferences need to decide who is providing the value and who's paying the bill right you, you, you like if you want merchants to come then you need you need to give free tickets to the people they want to meet with or whatever yeah so not one fan we, we make every decision fan not one fan want more ads not one fan will want ticket fees not one fan will want convenient fees not one fan would want shipping fees I mean, so our merchandise is free shipping. You don't have to be a Prime member or a Bananas member. It's just free shipping always. Yeah. Every decision we make is fans first. And it's by putting ourselves in our customers' shoes. Don't want to pull money out of the pocket. So get all your burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, soda. If you're with kids, just go get a drink. You're good. You don't need money. And so like that's part of our business model. I mean, you must have turned down. I mean, Dole must have offered you a million-dollar sponsorship at this point or something. I mean, now, I mean, it was small money then. I mean, it must be must be some big money sponsors that have reached out. If I was a banana company, I'd be all no all brainer. Over you. But that, yeah. that that'll be for our nonprofit <laughs> bananas foster that we launch in the future. You know, my okay. wife and I are foster parents, so that'll be for our nonprofit. We'll work with them on that. But um, to give an example, we have an airline that's very interested in working with us. Okay, they even want to like potentially uh, wrap a whole airplane in bananas, serve our banana cream soda, serve our banana beer. Right. Well, that's a we'll brand have. extension, right? Yeah. Now that, and again, with us flying all over the world, I mean, we're going to probably fly to 15, 20 cities this next year. That could be a partnership that makes sense. I'm guessing which airline it is, but we'll, you know, uh, it, it, you know it's going to be an upstart. You know it's going to be an upstart. <laughs> yeah. It's not one of the big ones. Yeah. That is not American Airlines. Yeah. Sitting with the board. It's not American. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I think it's like, you know, I learned this every night at our stadium, someone goes undercover as a fan. 
I did. I take out the yellow tuxedo. We park with the fans. We walk in with the fans. We sit with the fans. We eat with the fans. And all we pay attention to is what are the friction points in the experience. This is what Walt Disney did when he had his apartment on the fire station at Disneyland. He would go around and go on rides. And he said, whenever I go on a ride, I always ask what's wrong with this thing and how can we improve? So someone will sit in the crowd and be like, hey, what do you think of the game? How's your food? Like, Well, they'll, they'll time every line. You know, we focus on the metrics that matter most to our customers, not the metrics that matter most to us. I don't really care how much revenue we did in our merchandise stand or our revenue on beer or any of that. I'm focused on how long people were in line to get their all-you-can-eat food. I'm focused on how long to take someone to get a seat. I'm focused on, again, did they stay till the end of the game? And so we have our, our staff that goes in, they're, they're paying attention to all that. They're timing everything. And they get back, hey, uh, I had to wait six minutes for all you can eat food. Our goal is five minutes, uh, everything under five minutes. And so those are the things I think anybody in any business can do. You know, have you called your listen to your voicemail yet? Does it say, please listen closely as your menu options have changed? Like, have, have you have you sent an email to a contact form on your website? How quickly do you get responded to? All those things are metrics that matter most to your customers. And that's what I talk about in fans first. If you want to create raving fans, you have to win on all those metrics first. But I am guessing... And then maybe it's chicken egg arm. As those metrics improve, your financial metrics improve. Like it's just a chicken and egg thing, right? It's not like I said, we spend zero dollars on marketing, but we spend everything on the experience. And when we spend on the, I mean, we have a 15 piece pep band. That doesn't make sense. Like to have a 15 piece pep band travel around the country on tour makes zero sense. To travel with four times the amount of people than the Globetrotters is completely unscalable. But sometimes you need to do the unscalable to do the scalable. And that's what we believe in. Yeah. You know, I've, interestingly, I, I've heard that um, I, I've heard that same thing that in the beginning of your business, you should decidedly do things that are unscalable. And then you should worry about scale, you know, later on once you've had some success. But it's hard to do the unscalable. The, the unscalable thing is the thing that the big company competitor won't do, right? 100%. 100%. And, and they won't be willing to disrupt their business. They, they get stuck being a Kodak or, or a blockbuster. You know, for us to say, hey, we have a business with college summer players that we can't pay them. And we want to go into a more heavy professional and go into seven-figure payroll just for players. Yeah. It is completely disrupting a model that doesn't make sense. Why would Kodak eliminate their old way of doing business? But if I believe, Very which I do. companies can do this. Netflix is like the one more recent example that yeah. keeps finding ways to disintermediate yeah. themselves before, you know, it's done to them. Yeah, you have to. And so that's what we look at. We 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 focus more on who our future fans are and we focus on what those moves are, even if it we're gonna be misunderstood when we do things. So I'm guessing when you take this on the road, so I know this from a lot of businesses that have a, a like very experience oriented and and they have their home in a way. Are you less comfortable when you take this on the road and you can't control aspects of this and the free food? I can tell by your People can't see your face, but <laughs> the reaction says everything there. You're going to love the Banana Land uh, series. So it's five hour long episodes on ESPN Plus because yeah. it literally covers us going to all these cities and our reactions because they can't handle our crowds often. Did you do the free food on the road or, or, or no, no? No, we can't do that. You can't do that because they, they got they, existing they, deals. And yeah. And not only that, no one does it. There's not one team in the world that does all inclusive. It's very hard to do. And right. we struggled with it for years to be able to figure it out. So, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's very tough. And you can see in the series, like our first stop, like the lines were brutal. People couldn't handle it. And so it's out of our control, but now we're like literally <laughs> teams and venues have to invest in us and make an offer for us to come because we mean it's not just the money we want them to show their buy-in and making it work because if they're going to put that in then they're going to figure out how to do the food and they got to get some yellow paint yeah they got to do a lot of, they got to do a lot of things but uh yeah we've got i think we got 50 offers for next year now which has been really exciting so hopefully they'll be better at it 
So what do you think, what are some lessons that the major league teams could learn from the bananas? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, I get asked that question a, a lot and I, it's, it's humbling to say, what would you do if you were running major league baseball? And I'd say, I would never run major league baseball. You know, the biggest challenge that they have, and I think a lot of bigger companies have is the bureaucracy. There's so many people making decisions, owners, the commissioner's office, the players union, so-and-so there's so much red different tape stakeholders to too. You there's so many yeah. stakeholders. There's everybody invested. We can work quick. And so the first, again, put yourself in the customer's shoes, obviously the length of the game, but obviously another big thing is there's a huge barrier between the players and the fans. When we score our first run every game, our entire team runs through the crowd high-fiving the fans. Yes, I saw, I saw that. That was actually the point when I knew we had this interview set up where I was going to ask you, how do you get a bunch of college players to, to do that? Like, you know, who are trying to be drafted, you know, so. Well, think about this. Think about this. In any job, yeah. how often do you get, you know, really good praise and recognition and acknowledgement for what you do? And most jobs, you know, you might get a pat on the back. You might get a good job in an email. These guys, if they hit three doubles or the pitcher strikes out 10 guys after the game, they're not getting acknowledgement recognition on that. They're getting recognition for, oh, my goodness, you delivered a rose to my girl, my little daughter in the fifth inning. You danced on top of the dugout, dressed up as the YMCA at Village People. It was hilarious. They get recognition for that. And I think we're fed by that, especially millennials. And I'm on the edge of one. You want to hear that. And so they're doing that and getting that feedback. And we have incentives. For guys doing fans' first moments, we give away yeah. tons of stuff every day for that, not for the baseball, but for the fans' first stuff. So I think that's how the buy-in happens, by you continue to get recognized not only by your staff, but by the fans. Yeah, I <laughs> I know where I was when I had that thought. I, and it was just, that was the most, I think, fascinating thing to me about the culture and the guilt and that, again, getting everyone to buy in, enjoy it. And, and then you won the league or the division, right? I mean, this is not... The, these things are not mutually exclusive. And I know you believe they're having fun and winning and the whole culture, right? So one one thousand percent. I think everyone everyone knows it, but they don't like it's hard to quantify it or put ROI behind it. But if you're having fun doing what you're doing, you will put more energy in it and you will do a better job. It's very, very simple. We have more fun than any team in the world, and we've won more games than any team in our league. Though that night you were there, didn't they come out on a horse? They came out on a horse and kilts running from center field. Yeah. Yes, and the like, baby, the baby thing is ridiculous. The baby yeah, race. The race and the, yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. So the guy, but the guys are just so like, funny. I actually yeah. thought they would move. Like, or maybe yes, like, a, like, yeah, yeah. There, there was zero movement across the three babies. It was literally the world's yeah. slowest race because there was yeah. zero movement. Yeah. That's uh, one of our mainstay promotions. <laughs> I think one baby went backwards. Yeah. Yeah. They, they either cry uh, one, two games ago, she stood up. And no joke, had her first steps, took two steps and went down. And her mother was crying because her first steps came in front of 4,000 fans at our game. But yeah, that's that's part of the thing. You do things you've never done before, and it keeps it fresh, it keeps it fun, and you get recognized for it. Every night, we do between five to 10 things we've never done before in a live crowd. Every single night. So in a given season, we're doing almost 300 brand new things. 200 of them fail. That wasn't going to be my question for, yeah. for leaders to listen. Again, two-third failure rate, but one-third. And, and you probably couldn't have guessed. Right, which one, if you got all the smart people in a room trying to guess which one would be better, you'd be wrong. Yeah, the more intellectuals you get together, the more they hypothesize on whether a dog will like dog food <laughs> rather than. I remember being in Google's offices years ago when they just came out with email, with Gmail, and there was signs around everywhere saying "dog food mail," and I said to someone like, "What the hell is dog food mail?" or something like that, and they said. Well, we're rolling out this email 
progress. And if people don't use it, we're not eating our own dog food. So like we can't have people using like Yahoo and whatever. And so they had they had these signs all around the office reminding people to like just eat the dog food. And I've seen this with engineering companies. The product is never perfect. It's never perfect. I've seen more tech companies go out of business because they never ship the product. So I think, you know, mm. this is a deep business lesson buried in here in terms of just launch and fail fast. It's we are obsessed with experimentation. That's why it's the third E on creating Raven fans. I mean, literally obsessed. And so we have on our script, which our script before our pregame, we have 55 things we do before a game. And then during our game, we have another 50 to 60 things that we do during a game. All the things in green are brand new. And people are fascinated when they see our scripts and when we do our VIP tours, because yeah, most games are actually close to 15 things that are green that we've never done before. A hitting entrance, a scoring celebration, uh, a pitcher oh. dance move in the middle of the game, all of that. And it makes it fun. And you, you just look for fan reaction. Is that your top metric? So we follow the SNL. So again, I think greatest leaders learn from outside their industry. Um, we've taken more inspiration. Obviously, I mentioned Disney, but Saturday Night Live. So I had our whole creative team. I said, watch the SNL documentary, which was great. And on a whole week of SNL. Um, oh, is this and, how they test the scripts? Well, it's how they do it. So, so Monday yeah. morning, Monday morning, everybody pitches to the host and to Lauren Michaels, who's in charge. Yeah. And then Tuesday, they start writing. Wednesday, they do a table read. Thursday, they start preparing sets, doing rehearsals Friday. And then Saturday at 8 p.m., they have a live audience come in and they perform a bunch of skits. And they cut ones that don't work based on the live audience's reaction. Uh, you know, I heard this at one time, but yeah. We do the same thing. So we do our OTT on Monday where we pitch the crazy ideas. Then we start writing, do our table read Wednesday, start rehearsing Thursday, Friday for our game that Friday night. We bring in VIP at 445. We test all these crazy new dances, promotions. And I don't watch the promotion. I watch the fans' reaction. If they're putting up their phone and filming it, if they're laughing, yeah. I know we got something good. And that's, that's our ritual every single game. And then after, at the end of the night, myself and our director of entertainment do laps around the field and we go through every single promotion. We walk, usually walk another mile and talk, what are we going to plus? How are we going to do it better? What are we so going to do? So you do a whole, you do a whole debrief. A complete, every single night on every single promotion, we go through it and do our notes. I'm exhausted for you. Like the, the, seeing the prep that goes into the game, watching you MC this thing for four hours, knowing what comes after, like you got a lot of energy. It gives me energy. I, I thank God. That's no, I, I appreciate that. Bobby, but the reality is that that's the bonus E in the book. Well, only an extrovert could do this job. Well, <laughs> yes, but it, 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 that particular yeah. job. But again, everyone asks, how do you have so much energy? I go, I do what gives me energy. And what Correct. I did was I used to do crap that gave me zero energy. Yeah. Finances, operations, stuff, moving things around the ballpark. And then I literally did an energy audit. I looked at my calendar, not just what things do I like, what gives me energy. And I did that. And I said, all right, let's create my energy list. And I created an energy list of all the things that give me energy. And it, I fit into three buckets, creating, sharing, and growing. And if I'm doing those three buckets, which right now, you can see I got a lot of energy. Yeah. I'm creating with you. I'm sharing with you. I'm growing because I'm learning from you. I'm all three. So those games, I get to create new ideas. I get to share it in front of thousands of people. And I'm growing because I'm learning. So at the end of the night, I'm fired up. It's tough for me to go to sleep. Because I did what gave me energy. So I think everybody has an energy list. I think everybody should do an energy audit. And you, you should go through bed. some spreadsheets before you want to go to bed. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, that'll be yeah. Go through some spreadsheets and start doing some uh, operations at the ballpark. I'll be good. Well, look, it is clear that like fun is critically important to you. I can't even imagine. I know you're a foster parent. I can't imagine what like life in your household is like. <laughs> and how much fun it must be. My experience with people who have that sort of passion, it is either something they had and they are doubling down on or something that they didn't have that they wish they had. Like, 
was growing up was it fun for you or was it not fun for you like is are, are, is this are, are you inventing Ooh, let's go into some therapy yeah. this will be let, good let, right let, here. this is i think we may have talked about this before but i have seen this theme pretty consistently it makes a lot of sense you're trying to either find something you didn't have so uh, i was an only child my parents were divorced my mother had a drug problem my dad fought to get custody for me but he worked all the time he had a big yeah. big job and so i was constantly fighting um for attention it's weird as it was an only child but i was i was all alone so I was fighting for attention. I was fighting for love. Uh, I was just a kid trying to make his dad proud. And I'm still that kid today trying to make my dad proud. So the reality is what I realized is my favorite moments every night is at the end of the night when the game's over, the pep band's playing, all of our players and our cast are out greeting the fans. And it happened organically one night. The band was playing for an hour and fans wouldn't leave. So the, the tuba player came out and just started playing the opening beats of Stand By Me. And I watched what happened. The players the staff and the fans put their arms around each other. I know this sounds kumbaya, but it happened. And everybody started singing stand by me. And I looked around and I got emotional and I just felt like the love that we brought people together, that I was a part of something. And I think that has guided me to want to bring this all over the world because maybe as a kid, I didn't have that. And now I want everyone to have that feeling of feeling like they're a part of something. Yeah. So two things that make me think of that one is a, I think Adam Grant wrote in his book originals. I never saw this, that, that, I think like the average professional comedian was like a sixth child in a family, which makes a ton of sense, right? When you think about it, which is like, how do you stand out <laughs> as number <laughs> six or seven? It was it was something like that. And, yeah. and I think that I think a lot of people's passion is tied to some pain, but they're afraid to honor that, you know, and and they're afraid to they there's some shame or those things are mutually exclusive versus like think about all the good you can do for other people, you know, what knowing that. You know, it doesn't mean that your parent didn't do a great job or yeah. didn't do their best or otherwise, but that was your truth and that was your reality. And that can be a, a positive thing or not a negative thing, depending on how you use it. Oh, 100%. I think I, I've reverted that into saying like, no, I'm so proud. I want to change anything for my childhood. Right. Because now I get to, you know, our last game on the tour, we had 6,000 fans rush <laughs> rush open past the security guards. It was kind of scary, actually. But they rushed in. They were there for hours waiting to get in the game. And it was one of the most amazing nights in Kansas City. Fans didn't want to leave. My dad was there. And I went up to him and hugged him and we were emotional. I was like, look at what we've done. And, yeah. you know, when we go to Fenway Park, and I believe this, we're going to sell out Fenway Park, 35,000 people. I'm, I'm going to help you. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to take my dad <laughs> on that field and we're going to look around and feel like, look at this, dad. And like, that's that, that's kind of what drives me yeah. in a weird way. So, All right. So I know you must have big plans because, I, I, you know, you, you've described yourself as living for the next adventure. Like, what what do you have planned for the bananas, for yourself? Like, I'm sure it's not something small. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I learn a lot from, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people, but study the greats and become greater. And I'm always trying to study the people that are best at what they do. And I, this reference is going to throw you off, but Mr. Beast, okay? Yeah. I've studied a lot of Mr. Beast, which is why am I studying a 23, 24-year-old YouTuber? Because he's, yeah, I know. I, I have a feeling why, but go ahead. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> studying, all right, so how did he become the best? And obviously, obsession is one word you hear a lot from him, but um, he was obsessed with one thing similar to Walt Disney. It wasn't about money. It was obsessed with creating the greatest video possible. And if you watch his interviews, he says it over. I want to create the greatest video possible. He will invest everything into it doing that. And he's become the greatest YouTuber of, of our time, arguably. Also, help. what's interesting, and, you know, because I'm always trying to get my kids off YouTube, but then my youngest, who's the worst, you know, was showing it to me one time. He's like, no, look what this guy does. Like, yes. he... As opposed to, you know, he helps people and gives them stuff. And like, you know, most of the influencers are all about, look at me on my boat and my, and he's, 
I mean, doing this incredible stuff for other people. He's he's trying to create the greatest video possible while doing the best for the most amount of people and giving away all of his money and doing it in an amazing way. So when I look at what we do, it, it sounds political, but I'm trying to create the greatest show in sports every single night. And I'm obsessed. That's why we do the mile walk after every single game. And if we do that, which I think we're on our way to hopefully getting there, everything else takes care of itself. Are we? Do I believe we're going to play all over the world? Do I believe we're going to do major league stadiums? Do I believe we're going to play the field of dreams and uh, the sandlot and play on aircraft carriers and play in places you never imagined? Do I believe of course that? Do you I thought believe... of all these things. Oh, theme, yeah. what, about, what about a theme park? Yes. And so have I already <laughs> created visions of a banana land where the world goes bananas and the most fun ballpark in the world with zip lines across the field and trains going around the field and treehouse Airbnbs and speakeasies. And yes, have I already designed those with a company? hundred percent. So all of that is in, in the world, but every day now it's just what create the greatest show possible. Amazing. All right. Well, well, last question. And, and, you know, you, you've alluded to this already. Um, but I would say this is multivariant. It could be singular, repeated or personal and professional, but what's, What's a mistake that you've made that you've learned the most from? Oh, I, I actually want to, I want to go back to you on this. I'll answer it, but I want to go back to you on this for me. And I think probably a lot of performers are, are high performers. They move on from it quickly. Yeah. Um, so like for instance, me, like I'm so focused on the next at bat. That question is the hardest question for me. We failed lots of times. I mean, I mentioned salute on night, flatulence, fun night. Um, there's so many things that we failed on. <laughs> But, but the no, reality is good, like, yeah, you just move. Yeah. Bill Belichick next game, right? On, bring on the next to, at bat. Bring on the next yeah. at bat. So, I mean, yes. I mean, we did events at our stadium and, and failed miserably. I mean, tap in the morning beer festival because you can't drink all day. If you don't, if you don't start in the morning, yeah. um, you know, that a hundred people show up, you know, we had running of the bananas, a race with banana. We had so many events that failed. So what you've learned is just move on from your mistakes. That seems like that's move the lesson. On, yeah. Move on. And again, I think one of the things it's, it's focus on your unique unique skill set. And so we eliminated events. We eliminated sponsorship. We were not good at either of those. Now we focus on our show at the ballpark and creating things people have never seen before in a baseball field. That's been a big focus is, is the focus. The focus on what do you think you can be the best at in the world at. And uh, that's been based on all those failures of things that didn't work well. That's really where we're leaning in that. Right. You do a lot, but don't mistake that for all the things you don't do. Right. We do a lot in our zone of genius. We do a lot <laughs> yeah. in what we can be the best at. And, and that's that's that obsession. Awesome. Well, Jesse, where can people find more about the bananas, you, the book? Uh, where do they join your 4 million legions of followers? <laughs> uh, you search Savannah Bananas, you'll find us pretty easily. You search Yellow Tux, you'll find me pretty easy. But uh, yeah, I mean, we spend a, a lot of our time. We do videos every single day on you know TikTok, Instagram, YouTube for the bananas. And I spend my time on LinkedIn. So I, I write every, every other day on LinkedIn and share kind of the behind the scenes and helps for clarity. You know, as a leader who writes so much, uh, boy, that, I think that's one of the best tools we can as leaders is to write, 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 and helps us with clarity of vision and direction. Yeah, I'm not clear when I'm writing when I start to write it at some point. I, I <laughs> yeah. agree. It creates, <laughs> I, I think there's a mistake that you're right. It creates your own clarity about something. 100%, which then helps you be a better leader to other people and communicate better, which is huge. So that's where I spend most of my time. All right, Jesse, thank you for joining us. As much as I knew about you and the bananas, actually, the, the, I don't know if behind the curtains, the, maybe the peeking behind in the, the park, peel. Behind, behind the, the peel. peel. Thank yeah. you has been uh, fascinating, and I am sure uh, the listeners will will feel the same. I appreciate you, my friend. All right. You can learn more uh, about Jesse, uh, the Bananas, find all their merchandise through the links uh, on the episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode or the Elevate podcast in general, I just have one favor. Could you leave us a review? As that is how new users discover the show and hear incredible stories like Jesse. It's easy to do, and you can do it on any major platform. So thank you again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating.
This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.